And that's where I think blockchain starts to become a cool solution for ag supply chains because they're naturally distributed. People naturally don't trust each other along our supply chains and information needs to be shared. You just heard a snippet from a conversation I had earlier this week with Bridie Olson, who is the blockchain lead at AgriDigital and was employee number six there in what is now a 50-person and growing Australian startup. I'm Nick Byrne, and you're listening to the Type Human podcast, where we speak to people building new products and organizations using blockchain. This is my first attempt at hosting a podcast interview, so please be kind. I look forward to learning from this experience myself and bringing you more interesting conversations in the future. But without further ado, it is my real pleasure to bring you the full interview with Bridie Olson from AgriDigital. So to kick off, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> What's this chick doing here? Um, so yeah, I'm, my name is Bridie Olson and I head up the uh, blockchain project at AgriDigital. So um, I guess... I have a non-traditional story into this space, but that's like everyone. So maybe it's a traditional story. Yeah. Uh, So I studied law and politics at uni and left really not wanting to be a lawyer. So I took like a part-time role um, at an after-school care center upon graduating Sydney Uni with a law degree. (laughs) That's what you do. Um, And started researching stuff I was actually interested in. A lot of it was around like supply chains and technology. And that's kind of what introduced me to blockchain and agri-digital and yeah. um, that was a couple of years ago and here I am now. Amazing. So how long has the blockchain role agri-digital been around for? Has the role changed at all? Yeah, it's changed completely um, about 10 times. No. Yeah. So I joined agri-digital in 2016 and we were a team of like three founders and three employees. So yeah. pretty small group back then and I was doing a whole lot of different things and we're now a team of 50, so mm-hmm. we're about two-thirds developers. The rest is like product and sales. Um, and so I now have like a specific role. Yep. <laughs> We've kind of moved from startup to scale-up and now have job titles that make more sense than the generalist yeah. slashy roles you have very early on. Yeah. Um, and the yeah, the blockchain workstream has taken on its uh, a product life of its own. And yep. that's, I guess, how the current role has come. So you're employee six? I think so, yeah. Six yeah. to 50. So what's that been like? Six to 50. Yeah. It's been, um, we've moved office a lot. Actually, we don't have an office space this week because we're moving again um, to get ourselves about 100 meters square more space for yeah. the next year or so. Um, Is all 50 in Sydney? We have a couple remote. We Mm. actually have one developer farmer. So he's like, has a day off every two weeks. So he gets his fencing done (laughs) and his coding, his back end. So he does the rest of the week um, coding. Yeah. Most of us in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So people are probably wondering a bit more about AgriDigital. Right. Not just me. (laughs) (laughs) What problem is AgriDigital trying to solve? Um, Yeah. So I guess the the first three people that I reference are our founders. They're all farmers, um, all still farming actually, out in Warren and Young in New South Wales. And they spent, I think, about 80 years altogether working across grains industry and ag more generally in Australia. Um, And over their career their careers <laughs> combined into one yeah. um, over their careers they've I guess started to see some common 
um, challenges in agriculture and along ag supply chains more specifically. And the challenges then that they saw or the problems, I guess, that we've set ourselves um, to solve for. And the first one's really around farmers, um, farm first organisations. So like working out how we can actually get farmers paid for what they deliver when they deliver it because it's pretty crazy i guess if you think about any ag supply chain oh some doors yeah. <laughs> ag supply chain globally um farmers are never paid when they actually deliver their yeah. produce could be anywhere between like i don't know seven to 180 plus days so they bear an enormous amount of counterparty risk the entire mm-hmm. way up the chain mm-hmm. by the time that a farmer's actually been paid for the wheat they delivered it's probably being produced in another continent across yeah. the globe and there's no way of them actually reclaiming that if they haven't they don't end up getting paid. Yeah. So there's so a huge last, amount of counterparty risk. Last in the chain to get paid sort of thing, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, they often can be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and the lack of liquidity affects their businesses in other ways and their ability to actually make choices. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're really targeting that challenge. But related to that is the second problem we're looking at, which is that buyers don't have access to finance in order to pay the farmer. Yeah. So the farmer's not going to get paid if the buyer can't get the cash. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of ag businesses operate on really small margins. So getting that cash flow and the real-time finance from banks for buyers, particularly smaller buyers, is, yep. a, is a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, I guess, associated challenges there is probably that financiers have very poor visibility over what's actually held on site by a buyer. Yep. It's kind of like I give you a I don't know, $100 million line of credit, I'm going to inspect your site once annually. Yep. There's, there's not great <laughs> visibility there. Yep. And it means it's quite risky and expensive to lend and to um, borrow money mm-hmm. in that part of the supply chain. And I guess the third challenge that we're really addressing is that consumers don't have access to real verified data about where their produce comes from. We see that all the time. I mean, I was actually in China recently where they have a food scandal like once a week. Yeah. But I was in China when the strawberry crisis happened. So I was <laughs> the, like... The needle crisis. Yeah, the needles yeah. and the strawberries. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the inability to like isolate a supply chain and work out where a problem is coming from easily mm-hmm. means that our entire grower community is exposed to having to dump their strawberries because there can be no way to prove out your brand. Yeah. So it's not just kind of a, a food safety and concern. It's also then about how do you protect your brand and there's like a brand defensive strategy involved and a lot of Australian businesses exporting into China are super aware of that something you know the the trade in counterfeit goods annually is like 300 billion dollars across all all different products but in agriculture it's like 40 in fake food yeah um and I think any Aussie business looking into China knows how often that happens yeah. and they're looking at technology as a way to protect their brand yeah so those are the three main problems sorry that took yeah. a long time to explain no, no, it's awesome. um but those are those are the three big issues that we really set ourselves um to to use technology to try and find ways to solve yeah the the, the counterfeit goods ones a supply chain one that's come up a lot in some of the conversations i've had um and i was going to ask you whether that was a <clears throat> um yeah legitimate sort of story and in a moment, we'll talk about what can blockchain do that other systems can't. One of the fantasies, or whether it's real or not, mm. that was told was that the Chinese mafia are very, very sophisticated in how they look to counterfeit pro, um, yeah, produce. Yeah, they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> so the example is given that as soon as an Australian organic produce brand starts to get a bit of a name for itself, then it becomes a target for counterfeit. Um, and I was chatting to somebody and said, well, um, you know, what technology solutions have been trialed? 
and I can't remember exactly the details of this, but they described a centralized system and they basically said that that the mafia would always manage to um, enter the centralized system yeah. and manipulate the records um, yeah. to continue their, their business. Yeah. It's a it's a really big challenge. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people at play and a lot of like technologies at play that we need to kind of bring yeah. together, I guess, to solve it. Yeah. I probably shouldn't annoy the mafia on our first podcast, <laughs> so we'll leave leave that subject alone. Um, so. They're big problems to solve. So how does blockchain then come into it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I guess when you're looking to address some of these challenges, um, one of the things that became obvious to us, and I don't want to say quickly because it, it wasn't, right? We've been testing this tech for two and a half years now. So we've learned a lot. Like the technology's changed a lot, but we've also changed a lot in how we're thinking. Yeah. Um, and But one of the things that come becomes apparent is the really big challenge here is that we completely silo our data across supply chains. And we, yeah. we know that like instinctively. Yeah. What we need to get towards is an understanding of what could happen if we stop siloing that. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll just take a step back. If you think of like a supply chain, um, the information around the trading of a product mm-hmm. is kept kind of at most shared like one counterparty along, yeah. um, but largely kept completely separate from your financing information. Um, so actually who owns um, the product or has financed the product, which is kept completely separately from the data around how the product's produced. Yeah. So we don't have any way to kind of leverage these three separate information flows, mm-hmm. um, sort of things that you can do when you start to combine those information flows together is yeah. where blockchain starts to become quite interesting. Because yeah. if you can create um, a visual representation of an asset using the sort of tools we have on a lot of our farms, so like precision agriculture tools, even some more advanced farmers using like cool things like hyperspectral imaging of crops and that sort yeah. of stuff, you can create... Maybe explain Explain that. Imaging. I can't explain that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's essentially just a way that you can like take really, really good photos of crops, often from a drone, um, and create, using that data, you can create like a predicted yield of what that crop is going to produce at the end of harvest. So you can start to create quite a complex and intelligent view of what this asset is when it's on farm. If we have a way to share that information with a financier, Mm -hmm. you can actually then lend against that crop. And you start to like increase liquidity, increase business options. Mm -hmm. Other cool things are, I guess, if you're, capturing trade flows in relation and linking that to payments mm-hmm. um you can even start to see a world and this is down the track right we're thinking future here yeah. and you can start to see a world where the chain of custody and ownership along the supply chain is fully linked mm-hmm. so once you know if you're sitting having a coffee um in a cafe there's actually a full chain of custody of those coffee beans before they got to you and you could sit in that cafe and make a payment back to the farmer at the beginning of the supply chain Mm -hmm. because you can link your finance and your payment to the actual information flow around who has owned it at various points in the supply chain you could tip a farmer right so this is sort of like cool things we can start to think of when we bring those information flows together Mm -hmm. Uh, we have to bring those information flows together and that's where i think blockchain starts to become a cool solution for ag supply chains because they're naturally distributed. People naturally don't trust each other along our supply chains and information needs to be shared. Mm -hmm. So there are a few kind of um, natural synergies, I guess, between (laughs) between the two. Yeah. And so some of the problems you described to begin with were rooted in the sort of provenance and, excuse me, supply chain transparency conversation, Mm -hmm. but bringing it full circle, it sounds to be more focused now on finance and... um, 
yeah, that, you know, the asset forecasting so that the finance can be provided to the farmers and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, I mean, we take a view at AgriDigital that data around what a good is should eventually just be free. It's your yeah. right as a consumer to be able to trust yeah. um, that your product that you're buying is what it says that it is. Yeah. And I guess then we see the, the real value being overlaid by advanced finance and trade solutions on top of that, yeah. that either make you know those, those real-time payments to solve the problem of like delivery versus payment yeah. uh, or DVP, as yeah. we call it in our acronym world, um, at, at the point of sale or tipping liquidity into smallholder farmers in Zimbabwe so that they yeah. can support two harvests a year because yeah. um, they can buy the fertilizer. So that I think I told you that story before. But I'm smiling because <laughs> there are people coming. We're, we're here at Stone and Chalk in Sydney and it's 8 o'clock at night and there are still people leaving the office making a bit of noise. So apologies if there's any background noise. <laughs> yeah. It should have been masked out, I think, in how the microphone's been set up. Ah, cool. Um, that's really cool. So, can you give us an example of any um, deployments of AgriDigital today that's that's yeah live and, and working for people? Yeah. So, I guess we run two work streams um, at AgriDigital. Well, uh, we run a couple of other like innovation work streams. We have two key products in market. The first is our AgriDigital commodity management platform. So, it's a SaaS cloud-based product, mm-hmm. and we have about two thousand customers on board that platform. Great all in harvest at the moment um, using our platform to manage contracts, deliveries, payments, invoices, inventory management. They're like big grain businesses essentially. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're a farmer yeah. <laughs> out in like rural New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, you might come into contact with AgriDigital this harvest. Amazing. There you go. Yeah. Um, the other work stream is our blockchain protocol, Giora. Yeah. So that's what we're launching in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. That is um, kind of, I guess, pre-commercial stage. I don't think... There are very many commercial scale blockchain solutions out there. Yeah. Probably Bitcoin, um, and there's some there's some really cool tech pieces that are that are earning some good revenue of um, having good technology. But yeah. uh, we're looking at onboarding our first customers onto the Giora protocol. One of them then being yeah. AgriDigital. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so timelines between timelines. now and when people can find out more about Jura and that pilot? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jura is launching in the next couple of weeks. Yep. So we're currently sitting at the end of October. The last yep. day of October, it's Halloween today. <laughs> yeah. um, and we'll be launching the protocol uh, at an MVP stage with our yep. first customers, kind of an assisted onboarding style model yep. with full commercial launch uh, end of next year. Amazing. So there'll be some some stuff coming out over the next few months, hopefully, in a couple of projects that we're working on. Yeah. Um, we'll be able to share more info over the next few months. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we'll, we'll whiz into some more uh, colourful questions, let's say. So you just spoke at the Cryptonomics uh, Satoshi's 10th birthday and you said something that was quite interesting. Um so I can't remember the question that was asked, um, but the, your answer was um, you thought that the last 10 years was technically impressive, but that you hope that the next 10 years is commercially impressive. Um, oh, yes. Explain. This was in answer to describe the Satoshi decade yeah, in one right. sentence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> so, no, so, so what did you mean by what that? What did I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that what, what we've seen, I guess, has been the bringing together of some pretty old 
technologies really yep. um, in, a, in a newly accessible way with blockchain. Yep. Um, and I think it's amazing at the moment, like the explosion of all the different like peripheral products and tools that we're seeing in market and yep. even like protocols themselves, um, trying to make them more accessible, solving some of the really hard technical challenges that we've really been focused on for the last 10 years. And mm-hmm. I think I said just before that I think that Bitcoin is probably the one commercial use case of blockchain at the moment because you know, it actually is a more viable form of storing value for a lot of people across the world mm-hmm. than um sovereign currencies yeah. and it's a cheap way of like making cross-border payments and remittances yeah. so i think it's it's a it's a good use case but i'm hopeful that over the next 10 years we're going to see a boom in the t- in terms of the products that are commercially using blockchain technology and how yeah. they get, are going to actually leverage what has been like a very much like a technical focus and a, and a technical landscape yeah. to offer products that actually reach up to a customer yeah it might be worth clarifying, actually, to some people that might are new to blockchain. So if I, if I take your statement literally in terms of technical accomplishment versus commercial accomplishment, there are certainly some early Bitcoin miners that probably feel quite commercially fulfilled right now. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, reading between the lines and hearing some of the things you've said before, um, there's clearly been this sort of focus on crypto assets over the last particularly 12 months with the ICO, ICO boom. and Yeah. Um, yeah, people flipping tokens and whatever they can flip, really, um, which is in contrast to, say, your comment around supply chain data should be free and accessible to all consumers. And so there's this there's this difference between people thinking of blockchain as crypto assets versus the broader sort of web stack. Yeah. Um, so how would you um, explain, I guess, the difference between those two things, but maybe it's better to anchor it to an- agri-digital as well. What we're doing. Yeah, so yeah. I do have a token... And yeah, are you going to do an ICO? Uh, okay, yes. So um, anyone who's, like, I guess been following our story would have seen yeah. that we worked on blockchain all through 2017 without doing an ICO. So yeah. that's probably an answer to where we stand on the ICO front. Yeah. And I think we've seen quite a natural and, um, in my opinion, very valuable thinning of the market from a product sense over the past six months yeah. um, in terms of, sorry, we've seen focus on product and the thinning of the overall kind of hypey ICO market, yeah. um, which hopefully supports that movement towards more commercially minded products. Yeah. And so I'm not just saying like, you know, let's raise a whole lot of money um, from all these different coins because yeah, I'm sure for a lot of people that feels very commercial. Yeah. Um, but how do we actually get towards a point where our focus is around making this technology that is useful for a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I answered your question at all. I got distracted by the, the thinning of all the ICOs, thinking about all the different ICOs that there were last year. Well, I, I mean, I you were, we were at consensus well. together, right? It was yeah. like, it was literally like people walking around trying to pin money on you at the consensus conference in New yeah, York this it was year. The best and the worst of the world in New York all at once. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. it was pretty weird. Like you wanted yeah. to talk about like a product. I was there yeah. not with an ICO, just wanting to share our product story. Yeah. People were like not interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't this isn't like a technology conference, right? I just want to yeah. pin money on something That's and right. get the hundred X. Yeah. Get Snoop Dogg at my at my crypto house party. Right. Yeah. 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 Um so let me, I didn't ask the question very well either. So I think when people, maybe when people think of blockchain, they think of Bitcoin mm. and, and yeah, that ICO mania. Uh, but when we talk about product, we're talking about um, 
this decentralized web experience, let's say. Right. And so in the aggregate sense, if we focus on supply chain and your, your comments about data, yep. then um, the difference between AgriDigital as a Web2 company that does that is that you know, the Web2 company would be very proprietary. That data would be owned yeah. by AgriDigital. Yeah. Everybody would have to, have to yeah. interface with AgriDigital. But the Web3 version of that product is the open standard around those that sure. supply chain data. Yeah. So It's a different ethos, right? So you're yeah. building product with a very different target for yeah. where you're going to drive value. Yeah. With proprietary tech, you want to increase your number of licenses that yeah. you're selling, yeah. uh, increase your customer base because they're essentially going to come on board and you can upsell them with the launch of new modules and features and whatever else your platform offers. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of these protocol builds, the value is really in creating a network. Mm-hmm. And there's a very different way of positioning that to customers, investors, network participants when you're talking about these like open source platform plays that yeah. really do like they truly get their value from being a network. Mm-hmm. There's no point in kind of replacing your SQL databases with a blockchain if yeah. you're just going to continue to run it all as if it were a proprietary company. Yeah. And I guess that's why we've made the decision to separate what we're doing from a protocol perspective and a platform perspective. Yeah. We run a really deep vertical in like the grains and cotton industry in Australia and North America on our platform. What we're doing with our blockchain protocol is much more of a horizontal play across supply chains. And we need to be able to make that accessible, not just to the agri-digital platform, but to all the other platforms, applications, IoT sensors, that an asset like a commodity, so grain, rice, pigs, whatever, touches as it moves from pre-farm gate, pre-farmer even, through the inputs and seed and fertilizer or whatever, all the way through to a consumer and waste and um, all of the other kind of parts that affect our supply chain. So there's a different, I guess, a different philosophical approach you take to building both of those companies. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely challenging to communicate that at times. (laughs) No, it's it's a completely new paradigm. So yeah. if it is, if it does rely on that, that open standard or the railroads, um, have you found yourself in conversations in trying to build um, momentum behind those those standards? Um, and yeah. what's that been like? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm on the um, ISO three hundred seven smart contracts working. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't even say what it is. That's <laughs> there's too many buzz, too many acronyms and words there. Um, so the International Standards Organization Blockchain. Um, and yeah. Distributed Ledger Technologies Committee is the Secretariat is Australia. And I'm on yeah. the uh, Smart Contracts Working Group. So I sit with a group of other Australian um, technologists, lawyers, and otherwise looking at how we can set standards around smart contracts mm-hmm. and their use across these sorts of protocols. Um, so I guess that's one of the places where I've had these sorts of conversations. Yeah. Um, how do we do that? And I think, uh, you know, at, at the event that we're at tonight, Pip Ryan was talking about the three key benefits of standards. And if you take like a purely product perspective, one of the main benefits is really around being able to say what is best practice. So I think for a lot of consumers out there, I mean, probably rightfully so considering that like 80% of ICOs were considered to be a scam. Uh, that number might be going up right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. um, but being able to look at these projects and products and get a gauge on where they fit in terms of like best practice around security, identity yeah. management, um, that's all really great work for standards. And I'm quite involved with Standards Australia. There was yeah. recently a conference, an ASEAN digital trade conference, looking at how 
um, standards can support digital trade across like the Asia Pacific, yeah. which is a market where we're seeing some fantastic stuff happening in terms of digitizing trade and boosting economies. Like the ability to leapfrog uh, has been so proven over yeah. the past like 50, decade, 50, 50 decades, 50, yeah. 50 years. Do you feel like Australia, what role is Australia playing in these conversations at the moment? Yeah, so I think regionally we have a really strong voice, mm-hmm. um, but also globally on like the blockchain um, side of things. So obviously being the secretariat of the ISO committee yeah. has put Australia as like a key participant in all of those conversations. Um, we have some pretty impressive technologists coming out of Australia into yeah. the global um, global community. And maybe it's to do with kind of... Uh, our natural advantages being in lots of the spaces where there's a close affinity to blockchain, you know, agriculture, yeah. um, you know, land in terms of energy and that's a, that sort of space. So we're seeing some pretty cool projects as well developing in Australia. Yeah. Um, it feels far away at times, but, but there's a lot happening here. It's a pretty impressive landscape. Awesome. Certainly in the trips to New York, it feels like we occupy a similar, a weird space that's, that's not as... Um, aggressive and naively fast-paced as the US sometimes feels, but equally not as, um, I guess, like reluctant to take action like the EU can sometimes feel in how long they take to consider things. Australia, yeah, yeah that's how it's felt. I'm going to consult my, my questions from my team um, and then we've probably got a little bit longer and then we'll be done. Um, but in preparing for the podcast, we, we said to the, the Type Human community and team, what would you like to ask Bridie? Um, and I'll ask a clarifying question first, which is, um, does agri-digital start and stop in Australia and developed countries or do you see it going, where do you see it going after Australia? Yeah, yeah. so um, our platform is currently gearing up for launch in North America at the beginning of next year. Yeah. So it's a very uh, large grains market yeah. through North America. Um, and that's that's kind of our next target for platform sales. Yeah. And um, because we've built it in a way that is designed to leverage the natural networks across supply chains, we actually have users across something like 30 to 40 customers globally already um, because they're contracting or buying from an Australian exporter. Yeah. So they're naturally invited into the agri-digital community and they start to share a common data set even at a platform layer. So that's before you even look to a blockchain. Yeah. Um, In terms of what we do on the Giora protocol side of things, that's very much um, an international play. So we have projects expanding across Asia-Pacific, Australia. Uh, We've already done some work with Rabobank out of the Netherlands previously. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also more commodity agnostic because once you start to look at those data structures, everything that kind of moves along a bulk supply chain operates in a very similar way. There's an asset with kind of metadata. And then there are various claims that are made against that asset as it moves along the supply chain with data sets that back up those claims or often missing data sets that don't prove anything but just a claim that something was organic. So it's structured very very similarly. Even if you look at like electrons, they operate very similarly to grain in a lot of ways. So that's more nonspecific. Yeah. So then... What sort of education is required to bring customers on board? Are you selling blockchain to your customers <laughs> or are you selling something else? Um, yeah. we're, we're normally selling something else, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so we never 
really use blockchain in isolation of other technologies. It's always yeah. part of a tech stack. Yeah. And we definitely um, have a very diverse customer base in terms of technical literacy. Yeah. So some of our customers are in rural parts of Australia where there's almost no connectivity yeah. and that migration towards even using a mobile computer is, is quite a big step. We have other customers who are running like highly sophisticated technical businesses um, that I would not know how to operate <laughs> in yeah. a million years. Uh, so, and they, and they're much more um, hands-on, I guess, in how they adopt technology and integrate it into their existing solutions on site. Yeah. I think one thing to be said, I guess, for our, our work in um Asia Pacific is often there's actually better connectivity than there is in lots of, part of parts of rural Australia. Yep. So the ability to kind of roll out mobile money solutions when you're in countries that have like 140% adoption of uh, Android phones, say, yep. and, it's, and it's really completely saturated markets with full connectivity is a little easier at times yep. than in Australia. Yeah. One last question from the team and one of our, our community friends of type human who is based in the US would forgive me if I didn't ask this question, uh, which is uh, when are you guys going to pr bring supply chain transparency to the cannabis industry? Yeah. Yeah. I actually get that question really regularly. Yeah. <laughs> and in the US, you can ask it, right? Yeah, some states. <laughs> yeah, some states. Um, so I think whenever we're looking at like full supply chain data provenance um, or provenance and, and integrating your data the whole way along supply chain, it's difficult when it's not a fully controlled supply chain because you need cooperation. Mm -hmm. So if you have the right incentives, you can get the participants on board all you know, sharing their information at the relative steps so that you do get that full supply chain view. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the really big challenges we face, I guess, with long um, bulk supply chains is actually getting everyone motivated yeah. um, and the right incentives in place to to get everyone playing which is maybe another reason for looking at trade and finance as well like early on there's a real benefit there yeah. for cannabis there's actually a massive demand for provenance so you you see like um single origin yeah. cannabis is that <laughs> well no i think i think in any supply chain where there's demand for single origin yep. and there are there are people who are already trying to shorten their supply chain and get everyone um, cooperating in in at least um, kind of a single proof point so sustainability is a really good one or like mm. if you look at kind of palm oil there's there's real incentives there for people to at least prove out certain things the entire way along a supply chain yep. those industries i think we're seeing better adoption of provenance so maybe there's Hope for cannabis to be one of the yeah. one of the first on a blockchain. I mean, that's that's always a you know, drugs is always a first use case for emerging technologies. Yeah. So back to Bitcoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't want supply chain transparency when you don't exactly have a uniform regulatory environment. You don't really want to know where that cannabis came from or where it or, ends up. <laughs> or, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so it's been really great having you take the time out to answer some these or to chat to us. Um, two final questions and then we'll let you get back to your night. Um, the first one, we're going to put you on the spot. Uh, other than AgriDigital, what's your favourite project in Australia um, and or the world? Oh, okay. Um, 
Okay, well, one of the things I keep thinking about at the moment is water. So I think what's being done with water ledger through Civic Ledger is really interesting because um, I don't know if anyone's watched what's on all of the water documentaries on Netflix at the moment, but I think if I wasn't looking at agriculture commodities on a sustainability side, I would definitely be spending more time thinking about water sustainability. So actually getting real records of our water consumption, where it's going, is running ahead of like a massive um, influx in like a regulatory space and in mm-hmm. I don't know water allocations. So I think what Katrina's doing at Civic Ledger with Water Ledger is super interesting. Um, again, they're kind of a blockchain player who's been around in Australia. They're based in Brizzy yep. for about two years. They didn't ICO. They didn't ICO. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if that came across clearly. They yep. did not ICO. Um, and they're getting some really good traction in terms of government clients mm-hmm. across Australia as well as um, internationally as well. So they're, they're a pretty cool project. Yeah. And um, Katrina and her team is um, yeah, one of the, the clearly a, a team that has a long-term vision and staying power. Yeah, um, they're, they're really impressive. And I think yeah. that um, I guess their, their approach to the challenge they're facing from a very product-centric mm-hmm. uh, and, and what's our challenge we're actually solving um is also very admirable not just kind of squeezing tech in where it doesn't need to be there yeah yeah and for some context for anyone listening water ledger um is i guess it exists alongside the australian water market as well right yeah it's not so and i think from my understanding australia is quite progressive compared to the rest of the world in terms of our our water market as well so I guess for some background, maybe could could you explain the Australian water market? Oh, quickly? probably and, not. <laughs> um, <yeah>. The short <laughs> version, um, yeah, the short version. The short version of the Australian water market. Yeah. Um, there are problem areas, yeah. so I know that there's a there's a certain draw towards certain states. Yeah. From the water ledger product, I mean, South Australia has always faced big challenges with water access. Yeah. Um, so I think that the incentive to be uh, looking at how we can provide some like immediate relief by way of recording, at least recording this information in better ways. Yeah. Um, where water starts to hit what we're working on is probably around sustainability. So I know like uh, recently the UN released a report around water use uh, in beer and how <laughs> beer is going to be one of our first, um, I guess, consumption points that's hit by the water crisis. Um, and yeah, so I know, know there's some amazing projects in Australia looking at tracking and recording their water input mm-hmm. breweries like Four Pines who are looking at how they can reduce that, prove that out to their consumers mm-hmm. uh, that they're sustainable in terms of their water consumption. So I think that the work that Katrina's doing is definitely around recording that but also supporting those claims as well. Right. But you might know more about that than than me in terms of the the rest of the water market. So I had a chat to Chris Arnott from Aether oh, and, yeah. and Sam McCarthy from Tonkin and a few other probably more pub style chats and my naive understanding of the water market in australia is the government issues water permits to farmers and landholders um they can consume the water or they can sell their permits on to other people right i think um and then we have some sort of a market that a marketplace a water marketplace yeah 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 yeah. and so at least in those conversations when we considered what would the role of blockchain be it would be somehow encode those contracts or their, those permits onto the, the blockchain so you effectively it's it's less transformational in, in step one in the sense that it's more like the ASX or the NASDAQ moving from its current system into the blockchain yeah it doesn't have a whole lot of impact in the first step but by doing like making that transition you perhaps unlock 
um, the opportunity for new ways of um, exchanging water rights and things like that that we haven't quite imagined yet. Mm. Um, but that comes from a very naive, unresearched standpoint. Other <laughs> That's than to get Katrina on next. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. <clears throat> um, so what we hope in these podcasts to do is to help people start to get interested in blockchain and, and take first steps. So what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's looking to make the leap into this world? Um, oh, that's a hard one. I guess it doesn't have to be a leap. Yeah. I, I think a lot of these projects um, are coming from a place of absolute expertise elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So unless you're a software engineer, um, I don't think you need to start learning Solidity (laughs) to start being involved um, in the blockchain space. I think just uh, exposing yourself to the wealth of knowledge there is through podcasts (laughs) um, even is a good place to start. So, I mean, obviously this podcast, <laughs> but there are some other ones. There are other like great podcasts out there like Unchained yeah. um, that I listen to really regularly and they provide a really good um, foundation. If you want something very um, visually engaging, um, Fred Schubesta does, yeah. does a great kind of daily crypto update. Yeah. Um, Cryptonomics from tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cryptonomics from tonight, uh, Mark Pesh and the team. So yeah. I think... Uh, there's there's a really good online wealth of knowledge, which can be a little bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I'd encourage anyone who's kind of coming into this space to actually attend in person um, a whole lot of the different meetups that are held around yeah. mostly Sydney and Melbourne, I guess. But it's a pretty friendly, welcoming community and everyone manages to stay friends and catch up uh, yeah. like us. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's a, um, it's a it's a nice place to enter and I guess rest assured that most people have come to this space from somewhere else not mm. too long ago yeah. so um there's there's a whole range of different skill sets and i mean i'm i'm no technical expert but i work with an awesome team who are and also experts in rock climbing <laughs> so we, yeah. we we um we definitely share different passions but i think that there's a really good strong community sitting behind it awesome so don't be intimidated. Listen to some podcasts and get along to some local meetups. Yeah, good like. summary. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks again. It's really great. I'm really grateful to to you for taking the time out and um, I guess trusting us <laughs> for, for producing this podcast. Um, all the best to AgriDigital and particularly over the next couple of weeks when you launch the new the new product. We'll be watching closely. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. So that's all for now. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, then please say hello to us on Twitter, subscribe to our SoundCloud channel, and if you happen to have a friend or friends who are into blockchain, please share it with them. Until next time, thank you again.